The Other Side podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. Hello, thanks for joining us again for another episode of The Other Side Podcast. I'm Scott Kirk here with Lucas Sullivan. And joining us today is someone who we had on the show before, Columbus Board of Education member James Raglan. Also, we want to let everyone know that this is part one of a two-part interview, so be sure to check back for the second half of our conversation with James. Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for coming back, James. You were last here in 2018, and so we wanted to have you back just to kind of check in with you and see how things are going. Yeah, yeah. a rare second guest see, appearance. There you go. Doesn't happen often on the show. Huh? We only reserve it for special people, so consider yourself... In I'm some excited. kind of ring of honor. We don't have a ring of honor in here, but go. I want my name on the wall somewhere, yeah. guys. That's we, we, we gave you a hook for your coat. Yeah, see, there yeah. you go. Well, you got two bottles of water. Yeah, and hey, two hey, bottles of go, water. Huh? Living the dream. Where I'd like to start is what happened off the mic when you were here before. We kind of carried on our conversation about the challenges of education. Sure. And, and we kind of looked at you and said, "Well, why don't you get on the school board? Yeah, like you have." <laughs> You have all these what sound like good ideas, and you're passionate about it, and you did. Well, yeah, you put it a lot nicer than you put it back then. I think it was, <laughs> why don't you put your money where your mouth is and get on it yourself? All and, right, uh, all right. Maybe. Yeah, we, but, were, we were talking off the mic, so maybe it's a more right. frank than that. Absolutely. But, yeah, well, an opportunity presented itself to do just that, and I don't think anything happens by happenstance. And, you know, the door opened up almost, you know, relatively quickly, almost like weeks after we had that discussion. And I was able to be a part of the appointment process by God's will. They chose me uh, amongst uh, quite a few candidates to replace the seat that was vacated by former board member Dominic Peretti. And uh, since then, it has been a whirlwind. We were appointed in December of 2018, sworn in and got started. Then two days after my first board meeting, one of my colleagues, Mary Jo Hudson, resigned from the board and another seat opened up. She was then subsequently replaced by current board president, Jennifer Adair. And the two of us are now being joined by Miss Carol Beckerley and Dr. Tina Pierce, after a long election cycle in 2019. Right. So, so we it's went been, through. It's been about a year that you've yeah. been almost exactly that you've been on the board. Yes, sir. Absolutely. What's some demonstrative things that you've been able to accomplish since you've been on the board? Oh, goodness. I think the, the thing that stands out the most is getting a new contract with the teachers union and with with OPSI, our bus drivers and our lunch ladies and our you know, our instructional assistants and going through both of those processes was just a harrowing experience. Our teachers union contract negotiations were quite extensive. As you know, there were a few uh, a few bumps in the road throughout that process, but it allowed me to learn a lot about the contract that the teachers are under, what our administrators are obligated to be doing as far as oversight and accountability for our teachers. Uh, what the board is responsible for in making sure that our teachers have everything that they need to be, you know, to be equipped to teach our students. And then just really learning about what I need to do to keep myself calm in a um, extremely volatile situation. We were kind of under a gag order, and so we could not negotiate in the public. Mm-hmm. But that was not something. Which is hard, I know, for you, because before you were on the board, you would welcome 
people coming up and talk to you about issues and you love to engage people yes, sir. in discussions about issues. And now I'm sure you had you had circumstances where people were like, well, wait, where's the James I know that right. <laughs> would give me the straight talk? And now you're under a gag order. So I'm sure well, that I'm sure for you mentally and physically and all that, that that was hard for you. To it was navigate. a huge it was a huge learning curve for that particular issue in that particular moment. I'm still the same person. I, you know, I talk to people on the street every day. I talk to folks in neighborhoods and in homes and all over. I'm still that guy to give you, you know, straight talk, really. That's always going to be me. But like I said, we could not negotiate in the public regarding that teacher's contract. And there were some things that I felt like I wanted to say, but we ne- necessarily could not say them about the process. And that was a learning experience for me. But we got through it. There was no strike. Our teachers and our our negotiating team really got down to business when it counted and got the best possible contract for our students. And, you know, under the leadership of Dr. Dixon and our new superintendent, we are off and running and looking forward to a very productive school year. Today is literally the last day of the second nine weeks. And so we are starting a new semester tomorrow and the end of the school year is upon us. So we've got some exciting things that we're going to be doing over the next several months. And with what we have in store, I feel very confident about what we're going to do for our young people here in Columbus. Just real quick, I don't want to belabor the issues because they're in the past. We, Like you say, you have a new contract. But some of them were some of the holistic things that you've even expressed issues with in the past. Pay and benefits is always at the top of the list. But also we're talking classroom sizes, curriculum makeup state testing, all that factoring in. I know you weren't in the negotiations, right? You're not in the room hashing this stuff out. This is representatives on either side, and then you're getting briefed, right? Right. So how did you get your thoughts into that room? Oh, we had several meetings with our negotiating team where the board is uh, able to give input on what is occurring. But was it your was it your intention to try to make sure your voice was heard in that? Or was it a, did you have to come to a consensus with your group of board members and go in there with one voice? I think that during that negotiating process, there was a lot of consensus among the board members already. I think literally that teachers union negotiating process was a galvanizing moment for the board last year. I felt it was our best work It was very clear that all seven of us had done our homework around what we wanted to see for our students moving forward and the impact that a motivated teacher's force would have towards our goal. And when we came together to meet as a board in those opportunities that we had to negotiate with our team, not negotiate, but really kind of advise our team of what it was that we would like to see in our vision, I think there were quite a few of those moments where we were already in lockstep with each other. Now, for me, there were some things that, I mean, you know me, I can very, very rarely keep my mouth shut. And so I'm going to give my input. Well, what on were those things? things? Well, what was I'm not at liberty to necessarily oh, say what they, what they are at this time. But I will say accountability towards the contract was something that was very important to me. Holding teachers accountable. Yes, but I'm saying holding teachers accountable to what they are required to do in the contract itself. Okay. So if the contract says that you are to do X, Y, Z, are you doing X, Y, Z with 100% fidelity? And I'm not so certain that we have always done that. It may say it in the contract, but we might not necessarily execute that and have full accountability for what the contract says. You think the district has been soft on teachers? I would not say soft. I think that we could 
do a better job of accountability towards the teacher contract from our administrators and the board. Okay. And that is that is something that I am working towards on a day-to-day basis right now because if you look at what has happened within the district, one of the first things that Dr. Dixon has done is she separated the district into six different regions, and each region has its own superintendent. What that allows is for oversight to be conducted, accountability to be pursued at a much smaller level. So the district, our regional superintendents, are inside our buildings every single day. They are asking our administrators how things are going. They're looking for data to show that things are going the right way. The administrators are then letting that fall down towards our teachers, asking them for resources that we need, asking them for data that shows that students are being successful and impactful. I thought that that was very smart of Dr. Dixon to come in and say, okay, we've got this huge behemoth. Let's break this down in chunks and see if we can make sure that at a granular level, things are occurring the way that we want them to occur. But this is a little bit of a switch for you because when I've talked to you in the past before you were on the board, you were, I mean, I'm not saying that you're not now, but you were very sympathetic to the hurdles and the, you know, societal, financial, all those inside the classroom and outside the classroom that teachers have to deal with on a daily basis. And I still am. Uh, Having been a teacher myself, we know that a lot of our schools are a product of the students that are coming into them. And if we solve the problems that the students have outside of the school building, we'll see a lot better results inside our school buildings. That is not to say that we are doing everything that we can inside of our school buildings to move our students forward with 100% fidelity. This is what I'm saying to you. There are a lot of positive things that are going on in every single one of our buildings. But are we executing what is contractually obligated for not just teachers, but all of our staff members to fidelity? Are we doing everything that we're saying that we're going to do? So you've seen some things that you don't think are being handled with 100 percent effort. I believe that there are quite a few things that we we need to improve on to make certain that everything that we do inside of our buildings makes certain that it's for the benefit of young people. And there's there's a litany of things. And, and the one thing that I, I won't do, we're conducting a an independent audit, a curriculum audit right now that's being conducted by Phi Delta Kappa. In the next month or so, you will probably see the results of that independent audit on curriculum, and it really talks about comprehensively what we're doing as a school district. And I'm looking forward to seeing that because what I want to know is if all of the things that I have really been thinking about needs to be improved within Columbus City Schools, whether an independent source agrees with some of those things or all of them. There are things that I really want to make certain that our teachers and everyone else that's a staff member and and administrators are doing uh, so that we can maximize the time that we have with our young people so that, yes, we know and understand that they're coming to us. They may be impoverished. They're coming to us. They may have very vulnerable home situations, may live in vulnerable neighborhoods. But when they hit our doors, are we doing everything in our power to make sure that every minute that they are with us, they're being educated at the highest level possible. And I think the closer we can get to 100% in that, the better we're going to be as a district. Now, we still got to tackle 
the housing situation of our students. Right. But stay with me on the teachers thing. What are the one or two things that you want that you hope that the study says need to be addressed? First and foremost, intervention for our students that are behind, making sure, especially at the third grade reading level, because it's so important to a child's success throughout their education, um, making sure that we're doing everything in our power, that every single third grader reads at a proficient level. And I mentioned this specifically because we have had discussions regarding RIMPs and uh, reading improvement strategies that our superintendent has talked about will improve our students' reading scores exponentially. There was a little bit of disagreement between the administration and the teachers' union specifically early in the school year regarding the reading improvement and monitoring plans that we have asked for our students to put in place behind our third graders. That's something that's very important to me. And I, I, I sided with the superintendent on that. And so did the rest of the board to make certain that those strategies would be implemented by our teachers. Now, they have some concerns around resources that are needed. They have some concerns that they don't necessarily have the time to implement those programs, those types of programs with fidelity. And we're trying our best to address those concerns as we implement the strategy, but making certain that when there are directives from the administration to the teachers and their core, that they're followed and that they're followed with fidelity inside the buildings. See, we can sit downtown and say, okay, here are your directives. But we all know that on a day-to-day basis, there are things that are going on within our school buildings that, you know, real things are happening. And and on a day-to-day basis, sometimes things might get kind of lost in the wash. And how do we make certain that the things that are very important to the administration, very important to the board, are being implemented every single day within our buildings? And there's resources that need to be given to our teachers to make sure that they're able to do that. And the next thing that I would really point my finger to is attendance. I want to make certain that we have students who see their teachers in their buildings every single day as much as possible. I understand that, you know, People get sick, you know, people have time off, people, you know, you've got your own children that you're dealing with, and you have all sorts of things that could allow you to miss a lot of work. You're talking teachers missing. Yes, sir. Okay. And and for me, it's important that a student is able to trust that they're going to have the same teacher in that classroom on a day-to-day basis as much as humanly possible. Because you build a rapport with the teacher, you build trust with our students, Sometimes that teacher might be the most consistent human being that a student sees throughout their entire life. And yes, that's unfortunate. And yes, that's a lot of pressure on our teachers. But we do have to make sure that our teachers are in the building every single day and really prospering. Do do you feel like there's a problem with excessive absences in terms of teachers? There have been reports that show that we have some pockets of teachers that are, are missing quite a bit of work. And that's something we're working to address. I think it's really an issue around the quality of the work environment on a lot of levels for our our Mm. teachers. We do ask our teachers to do quite a bit. I mean, you know, let's just be honest about it. You're just not a teacher in 2020 urban education anymore. I mean, you're, you're literally a psychologist. You're literally a nurse. You're literally part parent. You're literally a fundraiser. I mean, all of these things are wrapped into the job itself right. in teaching. And so our teachers come into this job with a lot of challenges that are of no fault of their own. And so as a board member, 
I've got to make sure that their quality of work environment is top notch. I've got to make sure that if they need wellness programs and, and some of the other things that a layperson might not understand is required of a teacher, that we're giving them the best possible tools to be on the job every day, excited and motivated about teaching these kids and then equipped with the tools that they need to do it. It's a balance. But we do have to articulate the fact that, you know, there are some challenges when you have, you know, teachers that are missing as much work as some of our teachers are. And so how do we address those issues? Uh, those two things, making sure that we're implementing, especially with third grade reading, it's got to be something that we're you know, really striving for 100% performance for our third graders. Mm -hmm. And then making sure that we limit the amount of absences that are occurring within our building. And especially for, you know, for days like professional development as well. When we're doing our training for our teachers, we want all of our teachers to be in the building. James, you mentioned that there's been a, a learning curve since you joined the board. What what are some things that, that maybe you've learned or maybe some things that have changed your perception of just the process and how everything works since you took your position? Well, what I've learned is that a lot of the challenges that urban students face are systemic. One of the most intriguing aspects of my year as a board member was the trip to the Council of Great City Schools professional development. The entire board and the superintendent took a trip to Harvard last year. We sat down and met with urban districts from all over the country, some of the largest districts in the United States. Philadelphia was there, Dallas, uh, Los Angeles, some of the districts that, you know, we've, we've got 50,000 students you know, plus or minus a grand or so. Uh, but then these districts have, you know, four and 500,000 uh, students that, that they are educating. But one of the things that became very clear to me in those meetings was that the problems that we have are just scaled down from the other urban districts. We got in a room and we started talking about all of the challenges that our students have coming into the building, all of the challenges that we have you know, within our buildings and within our districts. And it appears to me that we've got some systemic issues that we've got to break down in urban education nationally if we are going to realize success for students. And the real challenge that I have is the urgency with which we aggressively pursue or not aggressively pursue the solutions to these things. If you think about it, for me, our challenges are manifested at the courthouse because if we don't do the job that we are required to do as a board of education or an urban education district, we graduate or students leave our district with limited options. What do those limited options end up? Where do those limited options end up for our young people? Well, more than likely, it's at the courthouse because they've either chosen a life of crime or... Um, some things have been uh, you know, thrust upon them that are negative. And this is happening not just here in Columbus or in Franklin County, but this is happening to predominantly black children all over the country. And for me, that is a social justice issue. The school-to-prison pipeline that you know Michelle Alexander talks about, what I've learned in my year is it's a systemic problem. And in order for us to break it down, we've got to break down the systems that allow for predominantly black young people to be led into, you know, a life of limited choices and negativity. 
And so for me, it's a social justice fight. One of the things in the, in the social aspect of this that you talked about last time you were here was that you felt that as soon as a family, a black family was successful or found success, they immediately looked to another district and left. And that you felt the success of the district could improve if some of those families decided to stay and put a stake in. And I'm wondering if you've been able to get any traction in the last year to start to unpack that problem or address that issue and try to, you know, prevent that flight from happening out to the suburbs. Certainly. And I think on a day to day basis, our board and our superintendent and really the entire district is engaged in tackling that issue by improving what we are offering parents and their children regarding our products. Our schools themselves have to improve. We have to be able to provide the level of education that all families feel is necessary for their children to graduate and be successful. It's got to be that way. And yes, with really middle-class African-American families, they are choosing to go to other areas where they can get their children educated. And that is perfectly their right now. For us, it is incumbent upon us to do the things that we need to do to not just draw them back to our schools, but to draw them back to our communities. See, it's a housing issue as well, and it's a safety issue as well. A lot of our middle-class black families are moving to the suburbs because of the challenges that exist within the communities, not just the schools. It's not just a school's problem because we've got several great schools within communities, but it's also the things that are happening within the neighborhoods themselves that are, you know, allowing for a lot of African-American families to now live in Gahanna, to now live in Pickerington, to now live in Hilliard. They're finding these suburban cities to be a lot safer, more vibrant communities. A lot of the challenges that we have in some of our neighborhoods in town, they're not finding them in some of those areas. They've got resources there. They've got you know, shopping centers and grocery stores and things that we don't necessarily see in communities within a lot of central Ohio neighborhoods, they're finding them. And so there's areas of comfort that they've realized and schooling is a part of that. Right. But I get all that. But Scott and I have also talked to each other about the district had to cancel classes earlier this year because of heat, because there's not air conditioning in the schools. There isn't a district out in the suburbs you can find that doesn't have air conditioning. I mean, if I'm a parent and even if it's not 90, even if it's 88, I got to send my kid. And then you've got the teachers sweltering in that heat. That's right. It's hard to stay focused for adults as hard as it is for kids almost in that heat. So, I mean, when you have to cancel classes because of that, because you can't even get, why can't they get air conditioning in the buildings? Well, we're actively. It's expensive. Well, still. It's not that expensive. No no excuses. No excuses. That's the way I look at it. And those suburban districts, those schools are newer. So a lot of them were built with air conditioning in mind. You got to keep in mind. Some are. Columbus City, a lot of those schools are old. They were built before air conditioning. My daughter goes to Westernville schools that are are 30, 40 years old. No excuse, but I'm just saying, like, one, it's a money thing, right? Will we at least agree? It costs money to have AC or to build a new school. Here's how I would respond to that. But here's how I would respond to that. How are we spending our dollars? A few cycles ago, I was just a parent and a volunteer within the district then, but I helped, you know, approve a levy that said that we were going to fix buildings. 
you know, not a, a large percentage of that project was completed. How are we spending the money that we do have to make certain that we don't continue to talk about this issue and our families are seeing at least changes within our buildings right now? The way I look at it, if you just talk about the money we spend on capital dollars, who are we spending those capital dollars with? This is something that is very important to me because if we are hiring companies that come from Delaware County to come into our buildings and fix our HVAC systems or put on our roofs and then taking that money right back out to Olentangy schools where their students have everything that is needed to be successful educationally. Why are we spending that money with them when we could be spending that money with Columbus companies that are hiring Columbus residents, improving Columbus property tax values, probably hiring Columbus City Schools parents with jobs that are livable wages and higher? Why aren't we spending more with our companies here in town that can help generate a lot more resources for us here? I see our money going out of 270 a lot more than what it should. And so for me, how we spend our money with our local businesses here in town helps us to improve those types of things. Now, hey, we also have to be very upfront with voters about the cost, Scott, because you mentioned there is a cost to this. We've got to be upfront with voters about the costs. However, This has been decades in the making. Columbus Alternative High School has needed a new school since I was in school. There is no excuse for this to be 2020, and I graduated in 1993 in Columbus Alternative High School. The highest performing school that we have in this district is in the building that it is in. There is no excuse. Someone has to stand up and say, enough is enough. You've got to be upfront with the voters about what you're going to do. You've got to set a plan in motion, budget precisely, stick to it, and then spend the money here. Don't forget this was part one of a two-part interview with James, so be sure to check back soon for the second and final half. Thanks again for everybody else um, out there for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to check us out on our Facebook page at Facebook slash group slash other side podcast, or you can always hit us up on Twitter at other side underscore pod and then you'll find a bunch of photos and some past episodes and some extra stuff so go check it out i think you'll really like and, it and go to a school board meeting uh, and oh yes please please do that every other tuesday check uh, us out and 5 go to a school 30, board meeting 5 30 in the evening 270 and and then hit us up and let us know what james said at the meeting <laughs> uh so for everybody else uh try to enjoy the other side thanks